This morning I was listening to that song and I watched the video where Zach Williams plays in the middle of a jail. And to watch people who were imprisoned be completely free. Whatever holds you captive, you are free. You are slave to no one, to no thing because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's pray that he would teach us again this morning. You join me in prayer. Father, our hearts yearn for more of your wisdom. Father, they yearn for more of you, your presence in our lives. We're learning how to open ourselves up further to it, become more attuned to listening to your spirit at work within us, and to learn what it is to walk in step with them. Do not need to know where you're leading, but just in trust of your perfect resume and all that you've done and all that you will do, and to be content there. Spirit of the living God, lead us back into your word again this morning. As we come to familiar words, will you teach us something new? Refresh us. In the risen name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My wife has always told me that this is her favorite picture of me. And I kind of feel bad for her. You know, like some wives have husbands who are like firemen and they get like fireman's calendar. And my wife gets an out of shape middle aged guy in a wet t shirt, which isn't the same at all as a fireman's calendar. I mean, my catechism teaching series, though, I mean, that's. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, so going a different direction here. The reason why she loves this picture of me, she says, you look more fully you in your facial expressions in this moment than I think in any other picture I've ever seen taken of you. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission statement of Jesus Christ who said, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full, that you would become everything my Father created you to be. And it is the work of the Spirit to make that happen in our lives, when we glimpse moments like this, what I'm hearing my wife actually say is, I see you as God created you to be living into the fullness of his plan in your life. That picture was taken on New Year's Day at about 6 o'clock in the morning in 2016 in the Atlantic Ocean on the shores of Liberia, and we had finished a three-day crusade and Over 100 people had come to the Lord from that community for the first time in their lives, and they lined up down the beach, and the church came out, and they were playing music, and one by one, they came into the water, and Pastor Emmanuel, the man who's with me there, I've had lots of mentors in my life, but Pastor Emmanuel is my only hero. Um, if If I get to be anything in life, I want to be Emmanuel when I grow up, and we got to do this together, and he would say to everybody as they came in, confess your sins. And they would literally stand there and list off the worst things that they had ever done. In a country that had just come out of civil war, people were listing off murders, atrocities, horrible things that they had done to other people. And then they fell back into the waves of grace 
and came up recognizing the new creation that they were becoming in Christ and were forming a church community in some instances with people whose own family members they themselves were responsible for killing only short years before. Because the new common denominator that they had found in one another was greater than even the worst sins a human being could commit. I remember crying when I got back on the beach. Just so struck by what it is that the Holy Spirit is actually capable of doing. And how so often we don't go all the way into that and we sell ourselves short of everything that God really wants to do in our lives because we're not letting the Holy Spirit have as much as he would love to have. Not to make us less of who we are, but to make us all of who we were supposed to be. The next time I got back to Liberia, I was, we were flying in, and I was listening to this song as we were flying in over the different villages that we were going to go reach, and I knew that the churches were working on and in sub-Saharan Africa, right? So this is the hottest place in the last hundred years um, in the history of Christianity for the growth and expansion of the gospel. And I kept listening to this, this song, King of Kings, from Hillsong over and over, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born. And then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. There is a posture of strength in the work of the Spirit. And one of continual advancing of ground. By His blood and in His name and in His freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. It has been such a joy within my life to get to be a part of um, an organization that is doing missions work and gets to participate in these types of things. And one of my pleas for all of you this morning is not to tell you that you should do something with this group. Just find something in your life that ties you to something outside of yourself. A prison ministry. A food bank. A ministry for single mothers an international justice mission. Somebody working somewhere else where the primary job to get up every day is to move beyond ourselves and to think about the needs of all of those around us. Find the things in your life that you're passionate about, the unique wiring that God gave you, and latch onto that like an anchor to pull you out of the constant movement in your life that will want to make you focus on only yourself. It hasn't fixed that for me entirely and. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and still be more interested in my own fleshly ambitions than I am in Emmanuel's heavenly dreams. But he's helping me. And you can all find things like this. See, there's, it's good to be in the still, deep water where the Spirit resides, and it's, and it's beautiful, and there are days when it's just pristine, but sometimes we all need to spend some time in the rushing rapids of his movements too. So one body, one hope is that for me, but find one, pick one. And the reason why this is so important, I want you to hear this inside the text as we go forward today, the invitation to move beyond the self. And as the book of Galatians starts coming to a close, and Paul's showing us where he, this, all of this is going, listen to the specificity of the language of the fascination of the other in order to cure the obsession of the me. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's where this starts. So I just want to acknowledge up front that there is a juxtaposition that Paul is setting up inside this text between the work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh. But that does not mean when he's talking about flesh, he's talking about all things physical or earthly. When he's talking about this, he's talking about the sinful desires of the flesh, the parts of us that are moving us in a direction away from everything God created us to be, not into the fullness of the Imago Dei. The fullness of the image of God within us that Jesus died to redeem and that the Spirit is trying to bring out of us. Rather, our sinful nature versus the new creation we're becoming in Christ, those are the two things at odds that you hear basically said seven different ways over and over and over again in this passage. But notice how the one is actually the answer to the other. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather... Serve one another humbly in love. Service to one another is actually the antidote to selfishness. The movements of the fruit of the Spirit take away the them that exists in our world and in our language today. Every command that God gives us, every fruit that He wants to bring about is an answer to a problem in the world. It is the antidote. It's not an add-on. It's not icing on a Christian cake to start adding on the little fruit of the Spirit. Like, these are nice little trinkets that we put on top that decorate everything and make them look pretty. This is actually the essence and the core of it, and it is actually for the healing of the nations and the brokenness around us. It is God's redemptive strategic plan. The healing to selfishness lies within otherness. You can take the most famous 
college class of all time at Yale University, The Psychology and the Good Life, taught by um, Lori Santos. During the pandemic, globally, 3.4 million people took this class. And it's supposed to be scientific data around how it is that people actually become more happy. And what you're supposed to do is take an inventory at the start that measures your levels of happiness, and then you introduce changes into your life, and you can check along the way that you're actually becoming more happy, and your life is becoming better. 3.4 million people took this college profs class in the middle of the pandemic because they're so eager to find the science-backed data that proves one could be happy and there's a way to actually make that happen. And you could take the whole class and I can tell you right now the cliff notes at the end because it all leads to the same place which we already know. The people who are the happiest in the entire world are the people whose lives are the most focused on somebody other than themselves. That's a lot of scientific discovery to find out what Jesus lays out for us in the book of Galatians, isn't it? You were made for the other. You guys, this starts like the littlest of little things in your interactions with roommates and with friends. Interrupting your own path on the way to class so you can stop and encourage somebody when they're struggling. Picking up somebody else's garbage even though it isn't yours. Moving outside of the Western mentality mindset that has us so preoccupied and focused on our own individual rights rather than what it means to lay down our lives and serve somebody else. One of the greatest pieces of news in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it ain't about you. And that doesn't diminish your significance. It's actually designed to bring about your flourishing. You become more you when you're less focused on you. You become more about the movement of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God when you stop trying so hard to do those things yourselves and you fall in step with the Spirit who's already going there. You don't think the heart of God wants to redeem all things? Not only does He want to, not only has He died to prove it, He's got a plan and He laid it all out. And you're the plan. And he wants to do it through beautiful things of daily waking up and in small little acts, learning to deny ourselves and live for others. 304 million people looking for scientific back data to prove what the list of the fruit of the Spirit already tells us. The entire law Everything you're supposed to do in response in the Christian life is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that sounds so simple and so familiar to us, doesn't it? Let me ask you this. Is there one area of your life where you've ever fought for somebody else as much as you fought for yourself? I've been plagued by this question about Pastor Emmanuel for the last decade. Do I actually want the same things for his children and his wife and his family and his ministry that I want for my own? And I am so far from getting my heart there yet. And I'm convicted by this question as a summary, which seems so simple, but I'm not sure yet I've ever actually yet done it once in my life. To love somebody else And love is actionable. Love does. Thanks, Bob Goff. 
It does stuff. Love moves. And unless I'm doing that and I'm creating actionable love and not just talking about it, I'm not sure I've fully answered this question yet. To do this as much as I love myself. Pick any neighbor. First one the Spirit brings to mind right now. And ask yourself, have I ever loved them? Have I ever fought for things in their life as much as I've ever fought for my own? Now, what does God want to do in that space between who I am and the fullness of who he's called me to be? And I'm not bringing this up as some sort of guilt-inducing thing for you to walk away being like, oh my goodness, I'm a terrible Christian. That's the summary of the entire law, and I've never even done it once. The point is, is that Jesus wants to bring this about. That's why it's not supposed to be the fruit of Aaron. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's like, I want to do it. You just got to give me the space and room in your life. I will help you love your neighbor as yourself. And I've got these nine very clever ways that I like doing this inside of people and through them. And every one of them is other-directed, and not one of them is actually about you. Goodness, kindness, patience. There's not a single fruit of the Spirit that can be practiced in a vacuum. Every single one of them require a relationship. You can't do it by yourself. They have to be tested out with others. I came across this line in the passage, and I was like, oh my goodness, is this not a political commentary on American culture today? If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I want to paint this on the streets of Washington, D.C., Right, This grabbing for power that we're learning from the leaders in our country and from so many different places as opposed to doing it God's way. See, there's an othering inside all of this that allows us to do horrible things to other people. And it starts in small ways. As soon as the language comes out of our mouth, well, the left wants, or all the conservatives want is, You start doing that and you're already going down the road of othering. It's going to allow you to think, feel, and say things that a follower of Jesus is not allowed to do. Every bit of propaganda that has ever allowed one country in the world to destroy or abuse another people starts off with ingraining this kind of thinking. There's an othering going on. And the only person who wins in all of that is the evil one. When I was a kid growing up in Vancouver, every summer we'd go to the PE, the Pacific National Exhibition. And it's like the Canadian version of a state fair. It's just like a lot less fried food, NASCAR t shirts, and midriff. But apart from that, it's very similar. And my favorite event in the entire thing was the Demolition Derby. The Demolition Derby, where all the cars would come out, and the purpose was to destroy everybody else until only one vehicle was still hobbling along, moving. I mean, it's good for nothing anymore after this. It's not like you're going to put it back on the street or anything or drive your kids to school in it. Like, it's done. But it was just sort of this mass mayhem and carnage and smoke and hollering and crowds cheering on the destruction, the demolition of every car that wasn't theirs. Until one car barely running limps out of the ring, too broken and too busted up to be good for anything anymore. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. See, they're headed in opposite directions. So there's an invitation to introspection, I think, in this text. Like, we have to acknowledge that they are in conflict with each other. The choices that you and I are making day to day in our lives, right? There's, there's two dogs in a fight inside of us. Our sinful nature and the new creation we're becoming in Christ, and the one that's going to win that fight is the one that you're feeding. So which one are we feeding? In our practices? The things that we do? I think one of the devil's favorite lies is that of neutrality. There's so much of what goes on in your daily life that is really just sort of in a neutral place. Because the truth is, is these tracks are headed in very different directions. And does any one of us ever know from any sin we've engaged in in our life, the further you go down that track, the further it is back to the right path and the harder the road to get there. There's always forgiveness. There's always a path back. But the farther we go down it, the longer that journey is and the harder it is to take. The desires of the flesh and where the Spirit wants to take us are truly moving in opposite directions in our lives. And so we get the two juxtaposed lists that come in this passage, right? This is actually one of my favorite lines in Paul. People want to parse out so finely sometimes, like, what are all the different sins are? Is it if a sin I do this? If it's a sin if I do this? Paul's like, yeah, the sins of the flesh are obvious. Right? Like, this shouldn't be that confusing. I think we all know when we're moving away from who God created us to be. I think that I trust the Holy Spirit enough to be at work in all of us that when we're trying to make decisions, if we're doing something self-destructive, if we're doing something sinful, we're not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I didn't realize that was happening. I wish the Spirit would have said something to me. So Paul just says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he lists them off. But now look at the list. And look how preoccupied with self every one of those are. You see what I'm talking about? Lust ever only asks what's in it for me. Only love can ever ask what's in it for them. Greed only ever asks what's in it for me. Generosity only ever asks what's in it for them. Discord only ever asks, how am I going to win? Unity asks, what's it going to cost me in order for us to still be together? And so you can see that every time we're engaging in any practice in our life that's about us and not about the other, we're moving in a hellward direction. And opposed to that, of course, is this list, none of which can be accomplished within a vacuum, all of which require the complexity of relationship, and all of which will test us in different ways. But Paul's written this whole book to get to this point, to say this is what it means to walk in step with the Spirit, to wake up and desire these characteristics in our lives. And if we're wondering why our world around us isn't changing faster right now in a more beautiful direction, Maybe it's because God's people are more interested in winning than they are in becoming more in step with the Spirit. One of my favorite um, commentaries that I came across suggested that if you look back then when there was no um, punctuation when the Bible was actually written, that maybe instead of a comma after love, there was actually a colon. And that everything that actually comes in the list of the fruit of the Spirit is actually an elaboration of what it means to love somebody. That all of these things are love actionable. 
Or another way to put it like this. If the work of the Spirit in our lives is like the light of God coming into our lives, which is this sort of prism, and then fans out, then every one of those different fruit are all the different spectrums of light that come out the other side. We'll close with this. You ever wonder why Jesus chose the analogy of fruit in John 15? Or why Paul comes back to it again here to talk about what the Christian life is supposed to all be about? You ever seen a tree like laden with fruit, like where the branches are like bending because the harvest is so big? We actually do that tree a favor when we take that fruit off and give it to someone for them to enjoy. It actually does a disservice to the tree for its fruit not to be given away for the benefit of everyone else. Is that part of God's design in the analogy of the fruit tree and the different fruit of the Spirit? We actually become more fully alive the more we give away and, of course, the more than we're able to produce season after season. This is who we are. Fruit bearers for the world. And this is part of his strategy. So my hope this morning was to take you to a place where by the time we are done, there's some sort of churning of the Spirit going on inside of us. Whether it's a renewed aspiration for one of these fruit in your life. But the Holy Spirit's kind of circling up on the screen saying, this one, I want you to lean into this one a little bit more. Or I'm calling you to give this one away. Satan is so good at telling us that we're not good at following Jesus. And we probably aren't. But the Spirit's really good at following after Jesus. And it's his fruit and he wants to make it happen. And he would love for you to get to see it happen in your life. And ask the band to come on up and lead us in a closing song and let me lead you in prayer as they do. Father, thank you for the place that you've put us, this fertile soil for fruit to grow in our lives, for people around us, for the opportunity to exercise these fruit, to run this like in our relationships, with our roommates, with our teammates, with our band members people we come into contact every day. Father, we pray that this would be a fruitful orchard. We thank you for the good soil that's here. We thank you for all the ways that our lives get watered, that we get to live in such abundance. But God, we ask that you, increase, you would increase the other directedness of our lives that we would continually become more of who you created us to be as we become less worried or obsessed about ourselves. Father, thank you that only in your genius could you give us a command to do something that would only make us happier ourselves. You're so good. We're so undeserving. But you just keep coming. Thank you. Amen. Amen.